podcast for the fourth week of August, 2017. Welcome to the Day-by-Day podcast with me, Siobhan. This week, an astronomical occurrence. We celebrate an invention that revolutionized breakfast, and we march for equality. Follow the show on Facebook and Twitter at Day-by-Day Podcast. Subscribe to the podcast on iTunes and SoundCloud, and email me at daybydaypodcast at gmail.com. Once upon a time, there was light in my life, but now there's only love in the dark. Nothing I can say, a total eclipse of the heart. A total eclipse of the heart. This Monday, August 21st, will be a total solar eclipse in the U.S. And unless you've been living under a rock, you've probably heard about it. While solar eclipses aren't uncommon, this solar eclipse is unique in that it will cover the entire United States from coast to coast. This type of eclipse has not occurred in the U.S. since 1918. The last total solar eclipse to be visible in part of the U.S. occurred in 1979. A solar eclipse occurs when the moon passes between the sun and the earth, and the moon blocks the sun. If the moon were in a perfectly circular orbit, a little closer to the earth, and in the same orbital plane, there would be total solar eclipses every month. However, since the moon's orbit is tilted at more than 5 degrees to the earth's orbit around the sun, its shadow usually misses earth because it is too low or too high to block the sun's light. But once about every 18 months during the new moon phase, it lines up directly between the Earth and Sun, creating the conditions for a solar eclipse. But it is only seen in one part of the world. As the Sun's powerful rays disappear, its outermost atmosphere, known as the corona, becomes visible to the naked eye and creates a ring of fire around the moon's disk. At the time of an eclipse, the moon appears to be the same size as the Sun, In reality, the sun is 400 times bigger than the moon and 400 times further away. An eclipse is a natural phenomenon. However, in some ancient and modern cultures, solar eclipses were attributed to supernatural causes or regarded as bad omens. A total solar eclipse can be frightening to people who are unaware of its astronomical explanation as the sun seems to disappear during the day and the sky darkens in a matter of minutes. Historical eclipses are a very valuable resource for historians in that they allow a few historical events to be dated precisely, from which other dates in ancient calendars may be deduced. So this Monday, the first location in the United States that will experience the eclipse is Government Point, Oregon at 10.15 a.m. There, the total phase lasts 1 minute and 58 and a half seconds. A 10 to 15 degree drop in temperature is not unusual. This eclipse will likely be the most viewed ever. First of all, it is getting huge attention from the media. An estimated 12 million people live in the eclipse's path totality, which is a 70-mile swath of land between Oregon and South Carolina, during which the sun's disk is completely masked by the moon and the day slips into night. Another 18 million people are within a short drive of catching the view, while an additional 500 million people will be able to glimpse a partial eclipse from the other areas in the U.S., Canada, Mexico, 
parts of South America, and northwestern Europe. Do not look directly at the solar eclipse. Under normal conditions, the sun is so bright that it is difficult to stare at it directly. However, during an eclipse, with so much of the sun covered, it is easier and more tempting to stare at it. Looking at the sun during an eclipse is as dangerous as looking at it outside of an eclipse. Viewing the sun's disk through any kind of optical aid, such as binoculars, a telescope, or even sunglasses, is extremely hazardous and can cause irreversible eye damage within a fraction of a second. You should use approved solar eclipse viewing lenses. If you don't have the solar eclipse glasses, you can create a homemade projector out of items around your house, even using a cereal box. Check the show's Twitter feed for a link for this easy craft. I waited too long to get my glasses, so I'll be making one myself. NASA will be streaming the eclipse live so everyone can experience it. There will be a partial solar eclipse on February 15th, 2018, and it will be primarily visible in Antarctica. The next total solar eclipse over the continental U.S. occurs April 8th, 2024. Depending on where you are for that one, the duration of totality lasts at least 3 minutes and 22 seconds on the east coast of Maine and stretches to 4 minutes and 27 seconds in southwestern Texas. Some retailers are taking advantage of the solar eclipse. Denny's is offering $4 all-you-can-eat mooncakes, or their pancakes, on Monday. Krispy Kreme says they will eclipse their original glazed donuts by covering the traditional treat in a mouth-watering chocolate glaze. Customers can try the limited-time donut now through August 21st. And Moon Pie is giving customers 15% off all online orders through August 21st. Just visit moonpie.com. Be sure to safely view this year's and all solar eclipses safely, and please share your photos with me. The perfect chance to make my patented space age out of this world moon waffles. Let's see here. Caramels, waffle batter, liquid smoke. Ooh, waffle runoff. I don't recommend trying Homer Simpson's waffle recipe this Thursday, August 24th, which is National Waffle Day in the U.S. Waffle Day is celebrated in the U.S. on August 24th because it is the date of a U.S. patent on a waffle iron in 1869. A waffle is made by pressing a leavened dough or batter between two hot plates. Depending on the waffle iron used, there are various sizes, shapes, and designs of waffles made. Waffles are characterized by a crispiness that pancakes lack. As far back as the 9th century, wafers were made with flour and water pressed between metal plates. The metal plates for communion wafers typically depicted imagery of Jesus and the crucifixion, while the metal plates for non-communion wafers often featured simple emblematic designs. In the 13th century, ancient Greeks cooked flat cakes between metal plates and ate them with herbs and cheeses. The earliest known waffle iron originated in Western Europe near modern-day Belgium and the Netherlands around the 14th century. These waffle irons were constructed of two hinged iron plates connected to two long wooden handles. The plates were often made to imprint elaborate patterns on the waffle, including coats of arms, landscapes, or religious symbols. The waffles would be baked over the hearth fire. 
While the pilgrims brought the recipe for waffles to the New World, Thomas Jefferson introduced the waffle iron to the U.S. after his time in France. He likely acquired the waffle irons in Amsterdam. In the 19th century, the waffle iron design adapted to the increasingly popular use of the kitchen stove, which is when the 1869 patent for the waffle iron was placed by Cornelius Swartwout. And in 1918, General Electric began production on an electric waffle iron, and over the years, the design became more attractive for keeping out on the kitchen countertop. The number one frozen waffle is, of course, Kellogg's Eggo Waffle. The Eggo Waffle was invented by three brothers, Tony, Sam, and Frank Dorsa in San Jose, California, and introduced to supermarkets in 1953. I'm from San Jose, and I had no idea about this. When the product was first introduced, it went by the name Froffles, combining the words frozen and waffles. Consumers referred to them as Eggos because of their eggy taste. Eventually, the brothers adopted the name Eggo and officially changed the frozen waffle name. Then in 1968, Kellogg's bought the Eggo brand. The Waffle House chain serves on average 145 waffles per minute and has served nearly 900 million waffles since the chain began in 1955. While we're technically celebrating the U.S. patent on the waffle iron this week, if you don't feel like making your own waffles at home, there are plenty of waffle day deals you can take advantage of to celebrate the waffle. Check out the Twitter feed for some of those specials. I think I'll be breaking out my Mickey Mouse waffle iron. The organized woman movement dates from 1848, when a convention to consider the rights of women was held in Seneca Falls, New York. The committee drafting the list of women's wrongs found her grievances against the government of men to be the same number that American men had had against King George. It took George Washington six years to rectify man's grievances by war, but it took 72 years to establish women's rights by law. new heights if we're all created equal that's us too yeah but you will probably not recall that it's not been too long at all since we even had the right to cast a vote well, sure, some men bow down and call us Mrs. Yeah. Then it's hang the wash out and wash the dishes. Uh-huh. But when the time rolls around to elect a president, what did they say, sister? What did they say? They said, oh, see you later, alligator. And don't forget my, my, my mashed potatoes, cause I'm going downtown to cast my vote for president. But we were suffering until suffering. And now we pull down on the lever, cast a ballot, and we endeavor to improve our country, state, 
any town and school. Tell them about those pilgrim women who who braved the foe. Could cook the turkey, but they they could not vote. Even Betsy Ross, who showed the flag, was left behind that first election day. Then Susan B. Anthony, yeah, and Julia Howe, Lucretia, Lucretia Ma, and others—they showed us how they carried signs and marched in lines until at long last the law was passed. Oh, we were suffering until suffering. Oh. Not a woman here could vote, no matter what age. Then the 19th Amendment struck down that restrictive rule. Oh yeah. And now we're cool. So educational. This Saturday, August 26th, is Women's Equality Day. It was on this day in 1920 that Secretary of State Colby signed the proclamation granting American women the constitutional right to vote. August 26th has been observed as Women's Equality Day since 1973, when a week earlier, Congress approved a resolution which stated that August 26th would be designated as Women's Equality Day and that the president is authorized and requested to issue a proclamation in commemoration of that day in 1920. The start of the women's right movement in the U.S. officially began in 1848 at the Seneca Falls Convention in Seneca Falls, New York. Local female Quakers, including Elizabeth Cady Stanton, who was not a Quaker, organized the convention. It advertised itself as a convention to discuss the social, civil, and religious condition and rights of woman. The event was planned during a visit to the area by Philadelphia-based Lucretia Mott, who was a Quaker famous for her oratorical ability, which was rare for non-Quaker women in a time when women were often not allowed to speak in public. The meeting included discussions about the role of women in society. Stanton and the Quaker women presented two prepared documents, the Declaration of Sentiments, which was modeled after the Declaration of Independence, and an accompanying list of resolutions to be debated and modified before being put forward for signatures. All resolutions passed except for the one regarding women's right to vote. A heated debate arose with many urging the removal of this concept. However, Frederick Douglass, the convention's only African-American attendee, argued eloquently for its inclusion, and the suffrage resolution was retained. At this time, only free white men were allowed to vote, and in some states, that only included those who owned property. 100 of the 300 or so attendees signed the document. The Seneca Falls Convention came at a time when women in America were reaching out for greater control of their lives. Husbands and fathers directed the lives of women, and many doors were closed to female participation. Laws prohibited women from inheriting property, signing contracts, serving on juries, and voting in elections. Women's prospects and employment were dim. They could expect only to gain a very few service-related jobs and were paid about half of what men were paid for the same work. Women's rights conventions became an annual event until the start of the Civil War in 1861, and by that time, women's suffrage was one of the main tenets. Following the Civil War in 1868, the 14th Amendment to the Constitution was adopted. 
It granted citizenship to former slaves, but specifically identifies voters as male. Susan B. Anthony and Elizabeth Cady Stanton devoted most of their lives to fighting for women's rights, particularly the right to vote. They are responsible for having an amendment presented to Congress in 1878. On August 18, 1920, the amendment was one state shy of ratification, and so it went before the Tennessee legislature. Supporters wore yellow roses while opponents wore red. The vote was deadlocked at 48 for and 48 against until the third roll call when the youngest member of the legislature, Harry Byrne, changed his vote to yes, even though he wore a red rose. He had received a note from his mother urging him to vote for suffrage. He stated, I knew that a mother's advice is always safest for a boy to follow, and my mother wanted me to vote for ratification. At last, women had won the right to vote. Sadly, neither Susan B. Anthony nor Elizabeth Cady Stanton lived to see their amendment and many years of fighting come to fruition. On November 2, 1920, women were able to exercise their newfound right at the polls in the presidential election between Warren G. Harding and James Cox. Ken Burns' documentary, Not For Ourselves Alone, is a little bit long, but it has a wealth of information about the fight for women's suffrage. With the right to vote, women are able to take part in changing those laws which create inequality. But women's equality goes beyond the right to vote. In the U.S., one of the most obvious disparities in women's equality today is that of the wage gap between men and women, which is around 20%. Or, for every dollar a man earns, a woman earns 80 cents for doing the same job. And we have yet to pass the Equal Rights Amendment, which I plan to cover in a later podcast. While we have come a long way in the U.S. for women's equality, there is still work to be done, and many parts of the world have fallen far behind. On a global scale, achieving gender equality requires eliminating harmful practices against women and girls, including sex trafficking, femicide, sexual violence, and other oppression tactics. The United Nations Population Fund has stated that, despite many international agreements affirming their human rights, women are still much more likely than men to be poor and illiterate. They have less access to property ownership, credit, training, and employment. They are far less likely than men to be politically active and far more likely to be victims of domestic violence. According to a UN report in 2016, the gender gap in education has narrowed, particularly at the primary level, and in many countries, women now outnumber men in tertiary education. In other areas, however, progress has stagnated. Today, half the world's women join the labor force compared to three-quarters of men, a situation not unlike that of 20 years ago. Women are far from having an equal voice to men in public and private spheres, and in every region of the world, women are still subjected to various forms of violence. Women also face new challenges, including those related to changes in living arrangements. As a result, older women today are more likely to be living alone and in poverty than men of the same age. So on this Women's Equality Day, let's celebrate how far we've come, but let's not forget those women who still struggle. 
that's it for this week. Thanks for listening and remember to follow the podcast on Facebook and Twitter at Day by Day Podcast and email daybydaypodcast at gmail.com. The podcast is also available on iTunes and SoundCloud where you can listen to past episodes. If you're listening to the show through iTunes, please take a minute or two to leave a review and share the podcast with your friends. Let me know how you take part in any of these observances and if you know of any holidays that I should talk about. I'll be back soon. Until then, remember to make each day count.